Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. in American Psycho. So I pretend to be a vampire. Search for this night's prey. Who will it be? What are the rules of attraction? I think I'm in love with this girl. She's sweet, pure, innocent. She's a virgin. Say what you want. Abstinence is 100% safe, which is less of a percentage than... Whatever, I don't care, I don't major in math. It's totally blank. Typical. Do what you feel. It might be fun. You know you want it. You're drinking. Drunk. <laughs> I'm drunk. Tonight's the night. Who's the lucky boy? Sean Bateman. Welcome to Rewatchability. We are a podcast on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters and J.M. McNabb. And we have a very special show for you today, and we have a special guest. But before I get into any of that, first of all, I want to thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us a little bit of money each month, one, three, five dollars And in return, you get the podcast early and ad-free, and there are bonus episodes as well. So if you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash rewatchability, and you can sign up there. So today, we have a movie it is called The Rules of Attraction, and uh, we, are, we are here with my good pal Jillian Stone, musician, person. Hi, Jillian. Hello. How's it going? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's good. Right. I realize after I asked that, it's a pretty loaded question uh, in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, let me tell you, there is this virus. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jillian, you have some music coming out uh, soon, isn't that right? Yeah, I do. I'm releasing a single. I guess this is getting released on Wednesday the 14th, so I'm releasing a single on Friday. And a music video where I do a strange Laurie Anderson interpretive Ooh. dance and cover myself in blood. So, <laughs> Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I'm in. Had me at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just turned the podcast off. Like, we don't want to listen to this girl. No, That's really cool. No, where can I, mean, I watch <laughs> that? Where can I find it? <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, we're not judging. You can't see it right now, but my foot bath is full of blood. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, your, what's your song called, Jillian? It's called Shelf. And is there like a place that they can go and like purchase it or download the song? Yeah, it's going to be like on all streaming platforms. So it's going to be on Spotify and Apple Music and Bandcamp if you want to spend like two bucks. Nice. Spend two bucks. Yeah. Support the arts. 
Yeah. Please. Blood, <laughs> go, blood is a Spotify free. and yeah. If you listen to it on Spotify like 50,000 times, they'll send you like a nickel or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got like a, a thousand plays on my last single and I made four bucks. Ooh, so nice. hey. that's like a coffee and another half of a coffee. So <laughs> nice. thanks, listeners. How does Spotify get away with it? Let's see if we can get this one up to 1,001. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. And you can tip so, for your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about The Rules of Attraction. It's a 2002 movie. It's directed by Roger Avery, and it's based off the novel by Brett Easton Ellis, who's perhaps most famously known for uh, being a dick on Twitter or, or, <laughs> or American Psycho. One of those for sure he's known for. And Jillian, this was your suggestion yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Already disappointed. I love it. I love what were it. you thinking? <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Tell, I... Us, tell us about what this about your experience with this movie and why you brought it to us. Um, well, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about this movie for like probably over a decade, but there was a period of time where it was one of my favorite movies. And that was uh it came out in two thousand two. And so I think I found it in like between 2004, 2006, when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I lived in a tiny town where the only movie theater was falling apart and would get movies like late in. So there wasn't a huge movie culture. I wasn't allowed to watch movies at home. So my taste was questionable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I, uh, I, I re- relate to that, though, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember I found it in like a Blockbuster or Rogers. And I thought it was really profound. And a few years after first watching it, I brought it to like a group of people. We were kind of hanging out on a Friday night having a movie night. And everyone was sitting around watching it extremely uncomfortable to the point where somebody was like we need to turn this off i can't watch this anymore and i i just thought they were a bunch of squares and having rewatched it i agree with them so that's kind of how i feel about this movie like i watched it with my partner and we were both like oh god like this doesn't even make sense like but yeah it was interesting to rewatch for sure and made me really it kind of put me into like an existential crisis of who I was when I was 20 years old. But Oh, no. You know. <laughs> that's, that's what we hope for with this show. <laughs> oh, good. spiral into yeah. anxieties. Yeah. We I? want to elicit dread from our audience <laughs> and from our guests. Okay, well, Blaine, what about you? Did you see this movie? Uh, no, but I did see Dawson's Creek, so I feel like I know this movie backwards and forwards. No, I never... I don't want to wait... <laughs> <laughs> okay. You bring me back. You're bringing me back. No, to I the creek. I've I've never seen this movie. Although parts of it feel very familiar. I don't know whether it was on at a party I went to in university and didn't talk to anyone or have any experience that was like this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I I never seen it, but it, it does feel familiar. I knew about it because I knew that kind of Everyone was talking about James Vanderbeek being like this totally different character. And and that was kind of, I guess, exciting at the time. And that it was, you know, I think that it, it went against the grain and people were like, this is a film, you know, like this is uh, <laughs> you know, this is like end of high school, beginning of university for me. So I think a lot of kids were watching it being like, this is what I can expect going to university slash college. These are the kind of 
depraved things are going to happen in my dorm room and it was literally just people complaining about their roommate to the to the dawn or whatever you know (laughs) wasn't like this at all but yeah so i i'd never seen it before i was interested in it because i didn't know much about it and and then i watched it and we'll talk about that what about you jm (laughs) when did you first see this movie yeah i think i saw this movie just after it came out on like the the movie channel or something I don't think I rented it. Yeah, I don't really have any distinct memories of it. I didn't watch Dawson's Creek, so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a big deal You're lost. to me. You're lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I the only thing I remember I remember watching it on the movie network and I remember before I saw it seeing like the at the movies review, like where Ebert and some other guy who who wasn't Siskel talked about it and, <laughs> and i knew it was i knew roger avery had written pulp fiction mm-hmm. was the only thing co-wrote I it him. with tarantino yeah mm-hmm. i co-wrote it yeah though there is some like stories controversy about the crediting oh okay movie. yeah yeah because it's a weird one it's like stories by roger mm-hmm. avery or something mm-hmm. and i yeah i never saw any of his other movies before that like i remember killing zoe coming out and just thinking it looked upsetting <laughs> me as a small child <laughs> why um, why would he want to kill zoe <laughs> seems so nice uh yeah no i i do yeah so i remember this i had v- very vague memories of it but yeah i was excited to do it rob when you and i were talking about what to do this week and we looked at the cast list for this movie and saw that paul williams shows up <laughs> right we're like okay this is we've got to do this movie because that motherfucking rainbow connection yeah uh what about you rob I never saw this movie. I don't know if I knew this movie existed. I mean, I guess I kind of knew it existed. You know, I it, it's adapted from the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. I've never read any of his novels. I haven't seen Dawson's Creek. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> You're going through your own existential crisis now. This is, Who am I? This is a domino of, of dread. It's awful. But I, I sort of find Brett Easton Ellis a sort of interesting character. Like, he's sort of like a character in one of his books, maybe just because he's an asshole. But I don't know. I thought it would be interesting. And, you know, I, there was a lot of interesting things in it. I, you know, I thought, um, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I think we're just going to have to, like, Wait. go through it and really just investigate how I feel about well, this Well, I, actually, I meant to ask Blaine this. Have you read any? I feel like you told me once that you did read Brett Easton Ellis. I don't. Am I misremembering I, I, that? I don't know. I, I don't know if I have. I do remember I, I pitched a TV show to, like, an American broadcaster or whatever, and the person that I was pitching to was like, do you have like th- three of the episodes in it? And I was like, no, I only have a pilot. She's like, well, this one person came to us with like seven episodes written and we jumped at the chance to work with him. And I was like, oh, who was he? And they were like, Brett Easton Ellis. And I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's neither here nor there. Like uh, I could write seven episodes. I'm still like Blaine from rewatching, but like I'm no, like, I'm no one. Well, um, this guy, he wrote American Psycho and, yeah. uh, you know, really should have prepped by writing <laughs> American Psycho. Yeah, exactly. It was just like yeah. the most useless information. It's very. And funny. how many James Vanderbeek projects have you been involved with? <laughs> yeah, Blaine. Oh, I didn't man. need to talk to you about that. Yeah, exactly. No, I I'd never read any um any Brett Easton Ellis. I've read through like in a bookstore. I've kind of picked up a book and and, and read through and and I feel like I've read. A book of his now with the voiceover in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, how about you, J- yeah, Jillian? Did you ever go back and read the book? No, 
No, I, I didn't. I didn't know it was a book until looking into this movie this time. Mm. So I didn't know who Brett Easton Ellis was, and yeah. I didn't even know it was um, like I. James Vanderbeek is supposed to be the main character from American Psycho's brother, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sean which Bateman. I didn't know. Yeah, so that. <laughs> So I didn't know that. I just uh, I had no context for the movie, just my own feelings. Mm. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really play up that part too much. I mean, Mm-mm. he does at one point call in Summer. I don't remember his last name. Summer Holder. Boone from Lost. <laughs> <laughs> Vanderbeek thinks Boone from Lost is Patrick, and who right. is Patrick? Right. But that is it. Mm-hmm. Jason. Is this Jason? <laughs> <laughs> Jason Bateman joke. Okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is the one good brother out of that uh, out of that three. <laughs> Though I've been watching Arrested Development because Rip Jessica. Oh Walter, yeah, he's he's not great yeah. either. But anyway, let's let's just dig into this movie because there's a lot that goes on. It is based off a novel, so it's very twisty and literary. It goes fucking backwards for mm-hmm. a significant portion of the movie. <laughs> Memento style. <laughs> I think this file's corrupted. <laughs> well, it was wasn't this the first movie that was edited on Final Cut Pro? Like the first like oh, you know, was it? studio movie mm-hmm. really yeah so uh, yeah it makes me wonder if maybe there was just a problem with the software and they just rolled with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was the first i think that it would have been more expensive to edit it the traditional way and i don't mm-hmm. know if that's just because of the things that they were doing with it like the time going backwards and a lot of the other stuff or whether that was just the way that you know it was going but yeah I mean that's an interesting sort of thing. It's a very like it's a very filmy. It's a very filmmakery movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has a feel of like you know being in the uh, the craft. But let's just get into it because there's there's a lot to talk about. So it starts with voiceover narration, of course, of a young woman, Shannon Sossman. She's playing this character named Lauren, and she's talking about this party that she's going to where she lost her virginity. And as the sort of story goes on, it becomes clear. I mean, it's not a it's not a fun story that she's telling. And, you know, she sort of sets up like a lot of things that are going to come later. Like, you know, she wishes that it was with this guy named Victor and it could have gone a different way. But essentially, she wants to have sex. She wants to lose her virginity. And so she ends up sort of taking this guy into somebody's room and... There she passes out, and already this movie is going to be fucking awful. Um, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it was a hard beginning to this movie, my God. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you, you kind of care for Shannon Sossman right away, the things she's saying, you kind of get, mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. her, and then it just goes from bad to worse to horrifying to like... I'm literally looking at my wall to not watch what's happening on screen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think, I don't know whether it's just because I'm getting older or, or what, but that stuff is just way harder to watch now. I don't know about you guys. I, yeah, I, I think feel that it's, way. I, yeah, the way that it's treated, like, I, I kind of wondered before I watched the movie, I wondered if it would be kind of, um, almost like a predictive have predictive qualities of like the me too movement. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of hoping that it would 
be addressing that stuff in a forward-thinking way. And having watched it, I don't think that that's the case at all. And I think that there's many there's many kind of facets of it that would be called triggering. Yes. yeah, so it's it's and and just the way that the you know the the way she lost her virginity was a sexual assault mm-hmm. where she got barfed on and just like took it and you know at the end of the movie am I allowed to talk about the end totally. of the movie yet? Yeah. You're allowed oh. to because it's a circular movie, so there's <laughs> yeah. no beginning and no end. Oh God! Well, just that she's she's just it's not addressed. Like no. she's just like yeah, yeah, I lost my virginity. Like I'm just gonna walk outside and smoke a cigarette yeah. and hang out with my my predatory gay ex boyfriend <laughs> because you know like everyone who's gay and male has to be do? predatory. Yes. Like they're only horny or ditzy, you know. So we have the manic pixie, the predatory gay man, and the too cool for school guy, and you know who rides around on his motorcycle without a helmet. So that way we know he's cool. And everybody's smoking cigarettes, yeah. so we yeah. know that they're all cool. She treats and- the sexual assault like she was cut off in traffic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's how yeah. and that's how you can tell a man wrote this. So like, it's just like right you there. Know- that's funny because my partner said the same thing. He was like, "You can tell that this guy has no um, he." he has no kind of idea of the inner workings of anyone who's female or queer uh, just by way of how he portrays those characters. Or not a sociopath. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy to, to get into these people's minds and you're like, they're so divorced from anyone I know uh, <laughs> that that I know closely enough to maybe guess at their thoughts. Like, it's just, yeah, it feels like a completely different alien planet that these people are on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I, I mean that that is part of the point, though. I think, and, and you yeah. know, like uh, we are talking about Brady Stanellis a lot, but I think there are, from what I understand, and again, I haven't read the book or any of his books, but there are a lot of differences between the book and the movie. So, yes. like, some of these things may have been a tad different or more fleshed out or more uh, pointed. I'm not sure. I was reading like a little bit about it, but uh, yeah, this, I would almost compare like this opening to like Raiders of the Lost Ark. In, in oh, okay. Sense. Okay. <laughs> in I, I'm, sense I'm interested. That, you know, I, I remember movie. the boulder. <laughs> yeah. Like the boulder. <laughs> so the boulder, like they, they were like, let's put all of like, we've got all of these awesome ideas. Let's put them right up at the top and just like yeah. have this great opening. And this was almost like, Let's put like the most awful, terrible parts of this movie and we'll put it in the right up at the beginning. We'll get this right. And I don't think it was pleasant, but that's what they did. And we all watched it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now that we're I think we're like there's a lot more dialogue about like when when it's like appropriate to depict sexual assault or how it's appropriate to depict sexual assault. And Mm -hmm. I sort of wonder whether Thinking back at tw- at 2002, I'm wondering, like, you know, whether just depicting sexual assault in a frank way was breaking out of like the sort of uh, the sort of restrictions that like polite society had put on talking about sexual mm-hmm. assault. I I, um, mean, I mean, I'd say that's a very like forgiving. I think I mean. Obviously, we're trying to find both sides to this, but like, I don't know. That just feels very forgiving to the to the mm. to the movie. I, it, it's like a very difficult scene to watch, and yeah. it's not even the last of the difficult scenes to watch <laughs> oh, God, that no. involve young women. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe we should just move right along because there is so much. There is so much like 
I don't. I mean, it is awfulness, but I mean, they are depicting a certain society. It is like a privileged society where, like, all of these kids have been sort of thrown together, and it takes place mostly at the university, uh, which I believe is called Camden, and they all sort of live. It seems like in the dorms, and we already know from American Psycho that the Bateman family has got to be like you know super ultra risk capitalist sort of people and the other sort of people we don't really get like the whole story but it is sort of implied that they are rich privileged and sort of like out of touch people Mm -hmm. just sort of like Mm -hmm. raging on their like hormones and so we have like we have as we talked about dawson (laughs) james vanderbeek and he plays like this sort of meathead who is just basically like every thought is about fucking or or getting high. Or drugs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he is a drug dealer as well. Like he 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 sells drugs to all the other students and he has a guy that he goes and and gets it to uh you know as as is mandatory in all like edgy tour 90s movies you have to have <laughs> a scene with a drug dealer and also like the drug dealer sort of climax too, like the mm. the drug dealer climax at the end of this almost reminded me of uh, Boogie Nights, you know? Yeah, <laughs> we're just like some like overprivileged kid who goes somewhere that he shouldn't, you know, to get high, ends up seeing some shit that he wishes that he didn't. Right. Well, also he's just like never pays his drug dealer, and then he keeps showing up to his drug dealer's house to get more drugs, which makes no sense. You know? <laughs> yeah, guys, if you're listening to this at home, pay your drug dealer. Yeah. yeah. What the hell? And also, he's like a machete-wielding psycho at the end. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just like a guy living in the suburbs <laughs> selling recreational drugs. Yeah, yeah. The movie sort of, at this point, after the party, it's the end of the world party. This is where everything sort of goes in reverse. And... You know, a significant. It feels like fifty minutes of the movie is just running backwards, and it's sort of neat. I mean, it has like a good atmospheric sort of tone, and the music is really good. And then there is a. Uh, it sort of when it sort of comes back together, it starts with like a split screen, another film school technique, and it sort of follows Shannon Sossman's character Lauren and Sean Bateman on their way to their meet cute. And of course, there is uh, like five minutes where you see James Vanderbeek just on the crapper. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but that's like an that's like an hour into the movie, isn't it? No, no, no. Oh well, it maybe. is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it goes through all their characters, kind of at the party and what they're doing at the party, and that takes that's the whole kind of first act of it. It's true. I mean, it does go all over the place, and yeah. I should say that. A good portion of the first part of the movie focuses not on James Vanderbeek or Shannon Sossman, but on Ian. Su- Wait, what did you say? His last Summerholder. Name was? Summerholder. I keep on just, thinking. Just Sumner, call him Boone. Like, Sting. That's what I want to call him. Also, this Lost. is obviously not the most pressing issue with this movie, but <laughs> like he he had like something done to his ears, right? Because his ears look totally different in this movie <laughs> than they did on Lost. Yeah, and then I was looking Don't it up expose and I like, the poor man. Jesus. I googled Ian Summer Halder ear and then like Google auto filled in ear staple. I was like, okay, so I went down that rabbit hole and I couldn't find any like good sources, but I'll, you know, people are looking into this. This is okay. He's everyone's also, talking. He's What's also with ear staples. <laughs> he's also in the boys right now, right? That uh, that prime 
show. Is he? Yeah, is he, he, he plays know. like the Aquaman spinoff character. Oh, he was in the Vampire Diaries. Oh yeah, too. is he really yeah. short? <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, his poor stapled ears are burning right now. <laughs> well, there's a scene at the end of the movie where him and and what's her face, Shannon, saw someone come down the stairs, and they're the same yeah. height. So either she's really tall or he's really short. Mm. So I'm go- yeah. I'm gonna dig into this. This is yeah, this is much like the ears of JM. On the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually like a five six like. 78-year-old man (laughs) (laughs) wearing prosthetics. (laughs) Did you hear about that influencer? And it was the old person? Anyway. um, (laughs) But he is is bisexual. So he used to date this Lauren person, but now he's sort of got a thing for James Vanderbeek. And he... uh, they, They have like... At some party, this movie is like basically threaded through by parties and they all have different names. But at one of these parties, they sort of meet at the keg and they have like this really stupid conversation (laughs) where (laughs) he says something about needing a new keg and uh, or he's something about a case of beer. And then Boone thinks he says quesadilla and sort of like makes sort of assumes or tries to like manufacture like a a date or something there's like a fake date situation Mm. that happens rob it sounds like you're telling a story really badly but this is just what happened in the movie (laughs) it sounds it sounds like my grandmother telling a story like and then i thought he said quesadilla he didn't and i said we should go to taco (laughs) i did say quesadilla (laughs) I wish I had a case of beer. A quesadilla? What? A quesadilla, Mexican food, El Sombrero? El Sombrero goes a long time ago. How about tomorrow night, then? I'll buy. I don't know. You'll buy? Totally buy. Rock and roll. Tomorrow, then. But then they don't even go for dinner. Like the plan was to go for dinner and and then, you know, he just shows up at a party and then they're both at a party and somehow dinner didn't happen. And it was like dinner was never talked about. Yeah. There's... Yeah. And there, he was also like, there was no time. There was no, there were no specifics worked out. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Just not a good, not a good plan. He did know? try on a lot of shirts. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then Jay Baruchel tried to commit suicide. Because there's a lot of that in yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah. I feel, so I feel like there's like a lot of like around that time there was a lot of just Jay Baruchel like cameos in teen films. Am I, I wrong? Was, yeah, almost famous. Yeah, we get to see him. I, I, he he sort of waves his arms in a similar way while he's uh, overdosing or dying or whatever. Right. As he does in almost <laughs> actually that's that's and that and that really dark episode of Popular Mechanics for kids. <laughs> 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 formaldehyde what no this is when when he's in the hospital and the doctor says like he's dead i need to take his corpse like hands down my favorite scene of this movie oh yeah that's the paul williams scene he's great that's paul williams i didn't know who's paul williams 
He wrote The Rainbow Connection. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. I like that man. I like his part in this. He made the movie better and more watchable. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Paul Williams. That was, he's got a line in it where <laughs> he keeps insisting that Jay Bradfield's dead. I love it. Even though he's clearly alive. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he says something like, it's toe tag time in Teensville. <laughs> that's a great line. It's so great. Yeah. And bring his corpse back. I need to do an autopsy on it. Like he's talking to himself <laughs> in the room alone. And and the camera, the ca- they, there's so much cutting in this movie, but they just keep on him because they're like, we got something special here. This, we're we're going to stay with this guy as long as we can. Harry. 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 I'm not getting any pulse. Is this a joke? I can see him moving. He's not dead. I see him breathing. He's dead, Paul. Shut up. Oh, God. And how did this happen exactly? Oh, God. Oh, God. Shut up. He's not dead. He hasn't got a pulse. There's no heartbeat. His pupils are fixed and dilated. Harry, please come back. Sorry, there's, uh, there's nothing more I can do here. It is pretty inspired. It is like, I mean, he is pretty nonchalant about whatever is happening with Jay Baruchel. I don't, they don't really tell us what, did he like take too many pills or something I like think that? He's I mean, he's faking it. I think he's faking it too. And the doctor, oh. the doctor figures out that he's faking it and that's why he's telling Trying him Trying to that, scare him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's not really explained. It's kind of confusing and convoluted. Yeah, I thought maybe he had like too many edibles because you ever have too many edibles and you think you're dying? It's a weird thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are some weird. There are other weird cameos we didn't talk about. There's a scene early on in the movie where, for no reason, uh, we have to watch Fred Savage like shooting heroin. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean for no reason? That scene is like. I that those are the wonder years, you know. <laughs> Has anyone like put, like cut that scene, but with like Daniel Stern doing voiceover? <laughs> me like, I really shouldn't have shot up so much heroin. Uh, I just wanted the guy at the door to turn around and be like, "As you wish." As you wish. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh that man, yeah, that would have been awful crazy. if yeah, if Peter Falk came in and he was just like stuffing drug paraphernalia underneath his pillow. <laughs> This movie's kind of like it's like Train Spotting if it was written by Brett Kavanaugh, you know? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I can't believe that you brought up Brett Kavanaugh because I was thinking of Brett Kavanaugh when I watched this movie. Yeah. I mean, like this is yeah. I mean, like this movie is about Brett Kavanaugh and Brett Kavanaugh's friends. Like Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> went to these parties. No, I'm I'm fucking serious. Like this is this is like what. Ugh. This is the world that, you know, <laughs> Brett really Easton funny. Ellis is satirizing or, you know, playing with or comes from. That's what he's showing us. Like, yeah. So you're saying the lesson is don't read anything written by someone named Brett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can get behind that. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, where else were we seeing that, like, you know, these people were were like this, you know? I mean, I think that... For a long time, there was this perception that, like, people who go to nice schools, who come from nice families, they have, like, these nice lives and they go on to do these, like, you know, big corporate jobs and, you know, they run our countries and all of that. 
But there's no showing of the dark side because they have the money and the power to keep that sort of hidden, right? And then it comes up at something like, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation hearing. So I, 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 think, it's, I think it's interesting like that the world is depicted. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and they yeah. even say the um, who's uh, Jessica Biel's character, the promiscuous. Well, they're all promiscuous. Lara, 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 yeah. When she Lara, when Lara. she goes and does the whole football team, and then they say that now she's married to a senator and has four kids. So they even kind right. of allude to that kind of lifestyle and background. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I don't want to defend this movie too much because I don't really like it but <laughs> I, I will say like i did come around on it a little bit in the second half like the first half I was just watching it like i mean that first scene was just so horrifying and like it's just so relentlessly bleak and upsetting for most of it but i did kind of come around in the second half because like i think i had this realization that especially doing this podcast like i feel like every time we do a teen movie from around this time we're saying like oh my god these kids are such sociopaths like yeah. they're such creeps like why doesn't the movie know that and so here we finally have a movie that knows that these characters are are creeps and sociopaths yeah. so i i think it's it's awful and it's unpleasant but it it at least like gets to the heart of something that wasn't really examined in other movies. I mean, the one of the guys from American Pie is in this movie. Right. Which the one? The guy who plays, I don't know. <laughs> Eugene Levy? Steve. Uh, yeah, Eugene Levy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the guy who's like the friend that no one remembers his name. He's even less famous than Chris Klein. I, you know the guy, right? The golfer uh, guy from American Pie? Golf? There's a golfer? Yeah, he like plays golf, and that's how he's aloof and women want him. Oh, no, not that guy. The other guy. See, there's a guy you're totally forgetting from that movie. <laughs> wow. The guy who's like dating Tara Reid in that movie is the guy in this movie who's dating Glory from Buffy. I feel like you're... <laughs> you're Shannon Sossman at the end of this movie where she goes to see Victor and she, Victor doesn't know who she is. I get that a lot. <laughs> there's... No, you... The the guy who's like in the diner with uh, James Vanderbeek oh. and the guy who comes back from Europe. At oh the end. yeah, yeah, M- Mitch. Mitch. I think his name is. Sure. Yeah, yeah. he's the one that Boone comes on to, and yes. uh, yeah. he doesn't want any of that. But then that guy's from American Pie. Is my uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank his you. his tagline is "Old enough to pee, old enough for me." Do you guys remember right. that? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. A good moment in the movie. It's uh, it's a real high high watermark for this movie. Yeah. I you, for a second, I thought you meant that was the tagline on the poster. No. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I don't think that's supposed to be funny. I don't think that we're right. supposed to be on their side. And no. I mean, it's a pretty big indictment of of these of these people. And like you know, just before that, he's there's the whole European sequence, which is a whole thing because there's a whole fucking movie about that like shitty 50 minutes of fast forwarded travel log they shot it too they shot it on location yeah really there's a whole movie wow i thought that was really i like that sequence i mean i didn't i didn't want to watch the movie (laughs) the full yeah i mean i thought it was interesting but... but i mean i think i think the fact that there's a whole movie and that i guess the idea is that you know Roger Avery and like one other guy went with this actor to Europe and he sort of stayed in character and tried to be in character, you know. So I, I love that he's in character just as like 
a t- like a twenty something guy going to Europe. Like I don't. What is that character? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, it, it is a character. It's like a cliche. It's like that one type of person. It's like the the grand journey, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, every sort of teen in university does. Which is it's a rite of passage, but it's also like totally fucked up and problematic. And like, yeah, like here he's just like he's fucking all these sorts of people. He gets mono from somebody, but they they actually filmed all this in Europe, mm-hmm. and I guess like. He said it'll never be released for because, you know, for music clearance reasons and probably because I think a lot of the people in the movie did not give uh, did not sign clearance forms. Mm. Right. I wondered that. I, I couldn't help but wonder that watching this and knowing that they really went there. Like, is there someone who's just like, are there people who's like mom just like hooked up with this guy and she's in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> because... there are people who are Kip Pardue's kids, <laughs> probably. <laughs> This is your Hollywood American dad. <laughs> That's my French accent, by the way. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. Oh, man. And there's other stuff as well. There's the whole... Uh, Sean Bateman is getting all of these love letters in his mailbox mm. from a mysterious person. He gets glitter-bombed pretty good, too. He's probably still picking that out, at the, uh, at, <laughs> out of his hair at the end of the movie. But... It's a big sort of mystery about who these letters are coming from. Is it coming from Lauren, who he has that big meet cute with? Is it coming from Paul, who has like this huge crush on him and wants to sleep with him or what? And we sort of, I mean, it's never, we never really find out for sure, but it's heavily suggested that it's like this one person who we see in the background of several scenes just for like a second and we don't really it doesn't focus on her at any point in the movie then there's just this like scene of this person running a bath lighting candles listening to i can't live if living is without you which great song but a bit on point and then she (laughs) she she slits her wrist which they show and yeah, and it's yeah. you know yeah. down the road, not across the street. You know, it's it's fucking. I mean, it's yeah. very graphic. There's a whole bunch of ethical questions as well. Like, you yes. know, I mean, suicide is one of those things that when you depict it, like it does have like a sort of contagion effect. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and you know, there was a bunch of controversy over that Netflix show, yeah, Thirteen Reasons Why. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they do kind of revel in it in an uncomfortable way in this movie. I thought. I, yeah. 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 Then like. There's like a couple scenes later, James Vanderbeek tries to hang himself with a telephone cord, yeah. and, then, and, and then and then fakes his suicide, which is seen by the by Shannon Lauren Sossaman, who, found who is the, the other woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a day later. <laughs> and does it? Does he know that? Like, it just seemed like maybe the most sociopathic thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. Well, he can't know that she's going to open the door or be coming to him. I he's, guess he must assume that his like you know f- weird French roommate. He's not weird. He's just French. Is going to <laughs> is going to see it, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I just it doesn't seem to me like that um, character has that much impulse control that he would lay there all day not knowing who was going to come to the room. <laughs> like I feel like he must have known. So I don't know. It just, but yeah, I mean, that and weird. and that's I think where the movie does know what it's doing. It's showing how much of a sociopath he is by like. Making fun of this, like, oh, I tried to commit suicide, but it wasn't really. I kind of knew that that, like, thing wouldn't happen. And as soon as, like, he falls off the ceiling, he, like, tries to get the stuff off his neck really fast. And, like, it it kind of makes a joke out of of it. Just Mm -hmm. when a scene prior, like, this poor young woman 
does it in a very like horrible way, which we see and is reveled in. So it, uh, I, I understand the movie's trying to like show that uh, how much of a psychopath he is, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it does it really well. But it also, yeah, I do wonder about the ethical concerns there, like showing people how to do it for real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's that's hard. That's hard territory. And playing this kind of like uh, almost operatic pop ballad, I, I don't know. It may, everything they try to make everything look sexy in this movie too much, I think. And and even the suicide scene was a little was a little like that. I guess when she's dragged out of the water, that's not that's not sexy at all. But it's still like a naked woman's body mm-hmm. with yeah. with makeup all over it. So I, I don't know. Like it it does it does feel like. I, I yeah, I feel like this movie there would have been a few checks and balances around it today of people being like, ah, rethink that, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that wasn't around it then, and uh, and maybe to its own detriment. Yeah, it's definitely a really hard scene to watch, and I don't know, I struggle with it because I think I don't like that it romanticizes suicide or sexual assault. Because it kind of does, in a way, like, just that she's like, oh, great, I lost my virginity. Like, I've I've checked this off my list. It doesn't matter how I do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, but it's also, like, there are so many, like, forces that it's trying to contend with. Like, the whole idea of virginity and, like, you know, I mean, what sex means to people, Mm -hmm. to young people. And, you know, what sex meant in the context of, like... You know, society in the early 2000s, you know, like after the religious right. Mm. And like this is also I mean, we haven't talked enough about Boone's character, who is like the the queer character in this movie. I mean, it's a movie where there is like it's one of the rare movies, I think, in the year 2000s where there was like an openly gay or queer protagonist. Mm -hmm. But it's also a movie where many characters call things gay and not all and and also things are rated on how gay they are mm-hmm. or whether they're not gay or you know whether they're too gay so it's like really existing in this like really awful liminal place in history where <clears throat> like gay people were starting to be accepted but also like gay people were uh you know very much in the zeitgeist of like what people were joking about or using to like you know put other people down yeah yeah, yeah the fact that he couldn't he couldn't be in contact with a man without trying to have sex with a man and then it's interesting because jay barishal's character is is revealed to be gay but earlier on in the film he's trying to have sex with a straight man but he doesn't want to have sex with jay barishal who is gay so he you know what i mean like he's not mm-hmm. he's it, it just there's not a lot of like kind of linear thought throughout it either but i don't know it's it's he is depicted as really predatory which i think is really problematic and and yeah yeah for sure i i I felt the same way about his character that like i mean not that any character in this is treated with respect ever but it does feel like uh james vanderbeek character has at least a little bit of i don't know agency or coolness or something that the film loves about him whereas it it really does hate its other characters Mm -hmm. so much it's in in my in my opinion but especially with poor old boone there (laughs) You know, <laughs> Boone. 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 You know, he... there's also the you know the one sort of like actual 
not sex scene, but like, you know, sexy scene with him and James Vanderbeek is uh, is not even real. It's like a fantasy mm-hmm. that he's having. Yeah. So it's like you got that thing that may have seemed sort of progressive in 2002, but it's like it also has this extra layer where it's, it can't be a thing that's really happening yeah. in the text of the movie. And yeah. Again, I, I don't know a lot about the book, but I was reading an article about the film and it was saying that in the book – there are some key differences. That kind of like love triangle between Boone and Shannon Sossaman and and James Vanderbeek is a bit more fleshed out because in the book, like the two of those guys actually like do have a real life mm. sexual encounter. So there is something a bit more tangible between them. And also similarly, like he has like a sexual relationship with the Shannon Sossaman character mm-hmm. who's not mm-hmm. a virgin in the book. So it's just like a bit more because uh, like also, yeah, yeah, their relationship feels very flimsy too because like at, at one point, like he's like, I love you and it's, they they haven't even like had a meal together. No. You know? like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's over. They like encountered each other in that uh, in that one scene and that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they listened to Donovan together once yeah. briefly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but in the book I think the thing is is that they're like they're both really unreliable narrators. Like mm. Paul says that you know, describes like this night of him and Patrick Bateman or Sean Bateman. Jason Bateman having sex <laughs> and the old but, Bateman switch, but Sean doesn't mention it in the narration of his thing. So it's a question of like, right, did right. it happen? And Sean doesn't acknowledge mm-hmm. it because of his internalized homophobia, or is it Paul that is you know sort of fantasizing it or being dishonest about it? Which I think is more interesting than the sort of way that it happens here. But I I, I have to say I disagree with the with the idea that it doesn't like this character in particular like brett easton ellis is a a gay man and Mm -hmm. you know he's somebody who in his life he was for a long time very ambiguous about his sexuality and then i think he said that he was bisexual or something like that but didn't want to get pinned down and now you know now that he's like 50 or something he's you know finally come out and said that he's gay but i think that like i would i would think that like this character has a lot of observed experience Mm. or possibly lived experience in it Mm -hmm. and you know i think is probably coming from the perspective of like a a kind of self-loathing that comes around you know being a gay person in the past (laughs) so i I mean that's fair that's fair yeah and i i found it like really refreshing actually that the that the gay character isn't you know he's he's not like a bad guy bad guy and he's not like He's not like a good guy, like a magical character, like so many queer people sort of as they were depicted in the early, you know, 90s and 2000s were like, it's a really sort of he's he's, it's a nuanced character. He gets it as bad as everyone else. And, you know, I think you also feel for him in a way like because that kind of he's just trying to make like connection and meaning, you know, he just wants connection. And he's putting himself yeah. out there. And... He's in the wrong movie for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he... First rule of attraction. Don't try to make a connection. <laughs> this isn't rules of connections, okay? <laughs> we also haven't talked about how Eric Stoltz is in this movie. Oh, fuck, yeah. I mean, fuck, fuck Eric Stoltz. I mean, his character <laughs> in particular. But, like, man, he is so good at, like, playing a sleazy creep. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Was that the teacher? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He plays he plays the, you know, 
I mean, it's almost a cliche, except that, you know, we know that it fucking happens because we've all been to universities. Uh, he's the guy who <laughs> uses the uh, the uh, incoming class as his personal dating pool. Right. And we right. see him at all the parties, you know, with his arms around, you know, uh, fresh women. <laughs> I mean, in movie, that, that doesn't sound that right. bad. The that's creepiest way to say student. Yeah. I don't know. The creepiest way to say student. <laughs> that's fresh person, Rob. Fresh person, yeah, there fresh you go. Person. But yeah, at one point at a party, he says to Shannon Sossman's character, "Oh, you missed your tutorial." And then they go back to his office or whatever, and he's groping her, and you know, she she does seem into it, but it's a powered the power thing. Is is never acceptable. Yeah. And but she's like, "Are you coming on to me? Do you want to fuck me?" He's like, "I'm married, but a Hummer wouldn't hurt." So we're gonna do it here on the couch. Do what? You wanna do it? What? <laughs> fuck. Oh, are you mad? I, I might lose my tenure. Damn, I'm a married man. But are you hitting on me? Well, for a Hummer, sure. For your talented Miss End. But also that makes no sense because she showed up to the tutorial and he was yeah. asleep in front of a Nietzsche quote with a lit joint, which <laughs> she then smoked. Yeah. So the tutorial never happened. No. Yeah. No. But, uh... Yeah, just a just a fucking creep, fucking creep. <laughs> I did think for a second, you know how we saw him at the party before we saw the full scene with him. Yeah. I thought because we just did Jerry Maguire on the show like a few mm. weeks ago, <laughs> right. and he's in that movie for like a second at a party. I thought for a minute, like, was was Eric still just like hanging out at like fake parties and movies for a while? Well, he just yeah. goes to his agent. He's like, "Look, only get me background work, okay? I just want to be a, a walk on part." I'm not going through on. that back to the future crap again yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a nice party scene exactly. they can't recast me if i only do one day <laughs> yeah oh man and then how we, we come kind of back full circle to the end again right Where... yeah the end of the world party which i should mention was apparently filmed on september 11th like oh god the, the big one mm. oh wow and Apparently, like, all the actors came. I mean, some of them came late. And uh, they were like, are we still going to do this thing? And Roger Avery was like, oh, yeah, we got to do this thing. Jesus. I don't know. But then I was thinking about it. And, like, I was at school when September 11th happened. And we didn't get to go home. No. No. You got, like, awkward talks from teachers, like, that didn't make anything better. (laughs) No. Like, even in Canada, I, I had, like, a history teacher that was like, nothing will be the same. Like everything is I shit. Guess. Everything is shit from here on out. Like life is never going to be good again. And we're like, what are you? We're teens. Like just tell us everything's going to be all right. I remember Jesus. my history teacher being like, there will be wars first in Afghanistan, then in Iraq. Jesus basically. Christ! <laughs> you get taught by Nostradamus. <laughs> remember that guy Donald from Roosevelt. Home Alone in the hotel? He's going to be president. Uh, <laughs> Okay, You're going to want to invest Adair. in masks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Pass that joint. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it all comes at at the end of the party, and we see how everything sort of happens that sort of led up to it. You know, we see, you know, yeah, she goes to see Victor after he comes back from Europe, and he doesn't remember who she is. And James Vanderbeek's drug dealers come after him and beat the shit out of him, which is why he's all bruised up at the beginning. And Boone, I think, is just sad. I think that's just how he comes together. Oh no, he he he's. He, he tries to hit on James Vanderbeek again, and James Vanderbeek says, you know, that he doesn't want him. And also that you'll never know me, like, uh, you know, Shannon Sossman told him five fucking minutes ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, that's a good line. I'll and then a that. snowflake falls from the sky and turns into a tear. Yeah. Yeah. And this was like, this was like <laughs> the, the chef's kiss of the movie, you know. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah. We've, we've, <laughs> no. seen, we've seen Dawson try to cry. We're just gonna put a snowflake on him. It's, it's, yeah. It'll From be the a gift. wrong side of his eye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah why isn't that a meme? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But but so correct me if I'm wrong, and if I if I watch this correctly, but they all when we go back or Morse style to the snake eating his tail, and we go back to the party, we see Shannon Sossman take the guy upstairs. So everything that happens to her still happens to her. We see Boone do his thing. Everything that happens, he's gonna get beat up and called the f word. All that stuff's going to happen. But then James Vanderbeek looks at that girl across the room and then chooses to leave, right? He doesn't do anything with her? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So everyone else has these fucking horrible things that happen to them. And he goes, I learned from this movie. And I'm just not going to have like barely penetrative sex with this woman. I'm going to leave instead. And that'll show my growth. But the other people in this movie have to go through the horrible things that we saw at the beginning of this movie they don't even get to like he gets to stop time and change his path through time but they don't is that right well basically he chooses not to have sex with kate bosworth and then he dies instead so i don't know if he makes the best choice (laughs) wait he dies doesn't he go off on his motorcycle yeah but i I think he dies in the middle of these in the middle of his line like tony soprano style like don't stop believing his plan yeah because he's 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 like wasted in the snow on his motorcycle without his helmet because he's cool and i think the reason that it stops is because he dies that's i i I took two things from that either thought that he died or it was like the movie saying like we're done with this guy (laughs) we don't need to basically that's kind of what i thought it was i thought that the editor was like enough (laughs) i've been on this for like six months final pro crashed and they're like ah don't worry about it exactly (laughs) there's five more pages of this monologue (laughs) (laughs) nope but it also i mean it sort of uh, ties into the beginning of the movie because the Shannon Sossman's monologue starts in the middle of a sentence, too. Mm. So it's like the idea that there's no real beginning and there is no real ending as well. Or he dies. It's one of those things. It's that ambiguity that uh, seems so fucking literary. (laughs) It's kind of like Lawrence of Arabia, too. Didn't that begin and end with him like dying on his motorcycle? Yeah. In a similar similar kind of shot? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that movie. I went to film school. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think uh, the best thing about this movie is the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Like, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love... I, Thanks, I just, Jillian. I, no, no. Because that's, that's, how, that's all you can say. Like, yeah. that's the good part about this movie. Yeah, I feel like there were so many reviewers at the time that probably said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, well, that's the plot of Rules of Attraction. We'll go on a short break, 
and we'll be back with some trivia and some behind the scenes stuff. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about rules of... Of attraction. <laughs> She's taking a big breath there. Yeah, I thought I thought it was over. I thought it was over. But uh. we should do that more. Do you guys ever listen to a podcast and like someone takes a long pause and you think you're getting a phone call? <laughs> yeah. We should do that more just to mess with people. I think yeah. that does happen on the podcast. I try to edit out as many of them as possible, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You guys need to come up with more shit to say sometimes. <laughs> We do put it on you a lot. That's kind of I, I, I enjoy motherfuckers. Some, <laughs> I enjoy sometimes when you're like, yeah, and then you're trying to find the next plot point. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Rob. I should have been funnier. I'm so sorry. Anyway, well, you do you have some some trivia for us? Of course I do. Of course there we I go. Do. Look at that segue. Okay, but I don't know. Some of these are okay. Some of them. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I procrastinated. I wrote this last minute like a test. Um, so. <laughs> Which okay, which video game adaptation did Roger Avery write the screenplay for? What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Silent Hill. Hey! Boom. You got it right. See, that was a trivia question. You didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, that. that was pretty good. Did I you, stumped JM. Did you yeah, know that's that, true? Did Janice I ask? was thinking, when you said that, I was thinking of like video. I was thinking he wrote the script for a video game <laughs> right. adaptation. Mario Rules Brothers. Rules of attraction. The <laughs> game. <laughs> Choose your asshole. Paul. Lauren. Shannon Sossman was also a video, a video game character. She was in Hitman. I don't know. Oh, was she? Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, her sister. At... Her sister's also in War Paint, and she played in War Paint. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, um, I should mention. Oh, wait. Let me do this like, as, as a trivia question. Um, what is Shannon Sossman's relationship to the actress who plays the girl who commits suicide? Is, is... she discovered her body? <laughs> That's right. Is it her sister? No. Oh. I uh, stunt double. No. I don't know. Bandmate? Yes, Jillian. Yeah. Oh. Bandmate. Yeah, they were both in War Paint. Oh, see? There you go. Isn't that cool? That's Isn't very that cool. rock and roll? Yeah. Wait, weren't, oh, weren't, you guys in, weren't you guys in a band together? You guys like played music together? for? We did play some music yeah, together. Yeah, we did. So you got but that But she question. never discovered my body. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounded weird. Yeah, that sounded... That sounded <laughs> Why don't you discover your body on your own, okay? Why don't... <laughs> Maybe we'll just move on to the next trivia question. <laughs> I thought that was that was interesting. Apparently, the woman, I don't have the actress's name on here, but she was her bandmate, and she just, Roger Avery met her when she came to, Sh- and roommate, when they came to Shannon Sossaman's apartment, and Shannon Sossaman was like, 
you should cast my roommate. She's really cool. And then they did. And honestly, I thought she did a really good job. She's I mean, great. She's you fun. know, we definitely talked about the the ethical considerations, but I thought it was like a really strong performance, you know. And yeah. Yeah, and she says and that she really is proud of that. So, I think that's also she should to be. take from yeah. it. And I like that whole sequence where it freeze frames all the places where she was mm-hmm. kind of like in the background mm-hmm. that James Vanderbeek didn't notice. I thought that was good. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things I read really hated that part because really? it made everything too obvious because, you know, you should have caught it the first time or something. I don't know. But well, I thought it was when it, when it was like the freeze frame of like her at the, like the cafeteria. I was like, yeah, we know. Uh-huh. But then <laughs> they showed like five other ones oh, that yeah. I yeah. did not notice. So That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Roger Avery was famously a early collaborator of Quentin Tarantino's. How did they become acquainted? Shoe store? I don't. I don't know. Some store. weird sexual fetish thing. I don't know. <laughs> College wicker man party. <laughs> <laughs> Close. <laughs> Jillian, do you have a guess? Um, no. Good, good guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna keep all your points. That's good. <laughs> they both worked at the uh, at the video store. Oh. oh. Yeah, that's where they started working together. And, you know, they worked together pretty extensively for the first few years of Tarantino's career. And um, it seems to be like a really contentious point, uh, as in, like, Roger Avery feels like he should have gotten more credit for things. And, like, Quentin Tarantino took things that he wrote and sort of adapted them without giving him the proper uh, due. Yeah. But Tarantino hasn't said much about it, and I guess he doesn't have to. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel like Roger Avery He is was... notoriously tight-lipped. He doesn't like <laughs> talking. Um, but Roger Avery seemed to, you know, shout out to his friend in this movie. You know, they talked about Quentin yeah. Tarantino, and I've never heard Quentin Tarantino talk about Roger Avery ever, which <laughs> makes, makes it kind of seem like he's like, yeah, I'm not going to... If you're trying to, like... I don't know. It just makes it seem like maybe Roger Avery isn't the right because he was being really nice anyway. Yeah, but it could be like a little bit of like Art Garfunkel disease, you know? Like, right. Like, Art Garfunkel like disease. Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the disease where like your entire life revolves around the guy who used to be in your band. <laughs> you know? Because like oh. I saw Art Garfunkel at Roy Thompson Hall <laughs> and uh, all he did was talk about these stories about girls that Paul Simon knew and wrote songs about. (laughs) Anyway, I mean... Is it okay okay to say, you can cut this if you want, but that we knew people who worked backstage there and then when Art Garfunkel came, he he put out the word to all the employees that Art Garfunkel would like a dog to play with backstage before the show. Oh, that's so special. (laughs) That's that's the nicest story. That's the nicest story. That's stay again. That's stay again. I think it's kind of weird. Did they they get him a dog? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He killed that dog. Rob, come on. It's a sacrifice before he goes (laughs) on stage each each time. I um, call it Simon. And no, then... <laughs> but I think it's I think it's kind of sweet that anywhere he goes, he gets like kind of like a stress dog before he goes on stage, oh. and then and then and then someone has a story of like you know who who like met my dog, like you know who I met and like played with my dog was Paul was, Simon. Was Paul Simon? <laughs> no. And uh, damn it, JM, you beat me to it. Damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I bet so, Rover would love Paul Simon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so can you guys name the four Brett Easton Ellis 
books that have been adapted to movies. We've already talked about American Psycho and this one. So I, actually, I guess there's well, three less than zero. Counting, are you one? counting American Psycho two with Mila Kunis and William <laughs> Shatner? <laughs> oh my god! No. <laughs> okay. Was less than zero one or something like that? Was it called that? Less than zero yeah. is one. Yeah. Oh fuck! What is it? there's one? It's called like the Imposters or something. What's it called? The Informers. The, the Informers. That's, that's correct. And there's a, there's a third one. The was it? It features Lindsay Lohan. Oh, is oh, it the like canyons? the canyons? The canyons or the hills? Yeah, oh, that's right. That was that was in a book though, was it? He, I think he wrote the screenplay. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay. That's the movie he made with Paul Schrader. That's oh man, like, maybe it wasn't a book. Like a B softcore porn movie. I've always wanted to see it just because it sounds incredibly bad. <laughs> yeah, kind of like yeah, Caligula yeah. or something like that. On that same Caligula, if they if the budget was like a thousand dollars and they <laughs> shot it in a in a house, <laughs> yeah, I read an article about it. It sounded really interesting, but yeah, I had no real interest in seeing the movie. I mean, nothing that Brett Easton Ellis writes about is anything that I am particularly interested in. I mean, they're always like rich people. I mean, they're always, I guess, the sort of people that I like hold contempt for, <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's also become such, like you said, kind of this toxic figure now, like on Twitter and like, doesn't he have a podcast or something? And he's also like, you know, his most recent (laughs) book was like a collection of essays or something, like, you know, raging against like Me Too and cancel culture Mm. and stuff like that. So yeah. I, he feels like, again, I don't know a lot about him. I've never read any of his books, but just as a cultural figure, the sense I get from him is he's a guy who like used to be the hip, young, cool guy, and now that image has faded a bit, and so he's kind of pivoted, like you know, like a comedian who gets like called out for something awful. He's well, pivoted to like tailor his material to this kind of right wing crowd. I think right. that that's I think that that's part of that, and like you know, when American Psycho came out, it was such a big deal, like the book that he was effectively. I mean. He wasn't canceled because obviously American Psycho came out and he became a huge author, though often that is the result of canceling mm. uh, somebody's that just sort of increases their audience. But I mean, he essentially like everybody turned against him and tried to get like American Psycho banned. There was famously a big feminist reaction about it. And, you know, later on, after Mary Heron adapted the the book, it sort of became a cult sort of favorite and people are like well maybe american psycho the movie has something to say maybe the book is like you know a little bit too much but there's like some good starting material and it's like one of those things that's really i find really interesting because like you know for example like with american psycho like gloria steinem was famously against it and you know wrote a big thing about saying how it was dangerous and awful and then when they adapted the movie her like stepson christian bale was cast as patrick bateman (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i think it's interesting how a these things sort of come around yeah but also like b yeah i mean i think that he has been like traumatized by people like overreacting to his creative material i mean you know, I think that I don't think that he's a great writer. I mean, I, again, I haven't read any of his stuff. I don't really feel like the compulsion to read his stuff. I'm always looking for something to read, and I never think Brett Easton Ellis—that's the answer. Mm. But, 
I, I do think that, like, I mean, I think that there's something valuable in his work, at least, like, from what we've seen of the film adaptations. I, I think that there's a lot that he's, like, looking at that other people aren't looking at. And he looks at it in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, like, American Psycho really captured the zeitgeist of the sort of late 80s corporate raider sort of Wall Street sort of thing in a way that only really Wall Street did, mm-hmm. perhaps more right. more yeah. clear. And, you know, I for, for my money, I would say, like, he captures, you know, a part of, like, the university experience, you know, and not necessarily, like, all of our university experience, but, like, you know, a part of it that we, we sort of read about in, like, you know, magazine articles about, like, rape culture and campus, all of this stuff that's happening on campus. But, like, this movie was sort of showing it in, like, a very raw form, Yeah, you know, yeah, in the beginning. Yeah, he kind of sensationalizes the dark underbelly in a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, so... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's... But I also think there is something to what you're saying that, yeah, can be extrapolated and and used to understand this movie. Because I think, like, like American Psycho, you know, that's feels like... At least, again, I'm just going off the movies here. But, like, that movie feels like more of a very pointed satire. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this, maybe this comes across, and I think it probably does come across more in the book, but, it, you know, like you, I, it's not, not the kind of thing I would want to, like, devote that much time to, like, delving into. Mm-hmm. But, like, this sense that we're going to take, like, the worst aspects of, like, college culture and, like, you know, the toxicity of of people that age and and, you know bring that to the surface and have be, that be like the predominating sense of that community and and in a sense like make that feel more real than other representations of like adolescence or college culture i, I don't know like I, I think there is something to having like every character just being like relentlessly selfish and and emotionally uh, hindered and having every adult be useless and uh, predatory. Yeah. Like I, I think, I think it's it's almost getting at something. And I think there is something about the experience of watching this movie that 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 gets at that. I just don't feel like I take much away from it mm. at the end of it. I was also trying to think about like other movies that kind of do this, like because it is very unpleasant to watch these characters who are who are terrible <laughs> and doing terrible things. Yeah. But I. Th- you know, I was trying to think like of of other movies that well that I mean, do similar it, things. It reminds me a lot of like Requiem for a Dream. I was gonna yeah. say. But even in yeah. that you have these characters that really love each other, you know? It doesn't feel like there's there's any there's at least there's a silver lining in that or a tragedy right. in that like mm-hmm. well this this is rules of attraction not rules of love <laughs> <laughs> well also you know a movie that I, I was reading some old reviews a movie a lot of people compared it to at the time was train spotting mm. right. right and that movie i think like that movie and also like the rules of attraction has a lot of uh i think kind of kubrick vibes like they have james vanderbeek do that kind of Kubrick stare from yeah. like, uh, Clockwork Orange I mean, that and is The Shining and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I think those movies, both Clockwork Orange and Train Spotting, they make the awful, awful behavior seem fun. They show you the character enjoying their life. Mm-hmm. And, right. And it's perverse, but it draws you into it. Whereas this movie always just felt like I was at a distance. I was always just like nothing. 
I, I didn't get why they were acting the way that they were, and I was just judging it from afar. I never, you know, kind of latched on to that behavior. Yeah, like, Trainspotting makes you think heroin looks awesome yeah. <laughs> un- until, you know, the character experiences real tragedy as a result. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I wish, I wish this movie had done something like that. I think maybe, maybe part of the problem is that it's split. Like, you're, you have so many characters, and it's hard to involve audiences the same way as it is if you're doing a book where they're all speaking to you in the first person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it tries to do it with the voiceover, but I don't think it totally works. Yeah. I, but but even in Trainspotting, there's that character that kind of loves his friends. Like, they're, they're all fucked up, and they're sometimes horrible human beings, but he sees the good in them. Like, there's good in there. And, and I just, like, no matter how much I watched this movie and, like, looked for the good in people... I mean, Shannon Sossman comes close. Yeah. You know? But, I agree. Uh, but, but there's... There's just not a lot of good. And it, it just made me feel really bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> made yeah. me feel bad, guys. I mean, I think, that's, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I would say that's like something about like the university experience. Like you don't have like gr- having your friends that you've always had from childhood growing up is like one experience. But then the other experience is like you come to a, a strange place where all of a sudden there are no adults and everybody is you know, you're sort of friend and you don't really know anybody at all. And you just have like these amplified relationships. I mean, that's like why people like meet each other once and then say that they love each other. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. But right. it's also like, I don't know. To me, that like speaks a little bit of the authenticity of the experience. But it does make it hard to latch onto mm-hmm. as a movie. Yeah, but, but that's a great counterpoint, Rob, uh, just in terms of, you know, being that age and having to make friends again. And it's easier when... You're in high school, uh, but that's even harder than when you're in grade school, where it's very easy, right? So, yeah, uh, I get your point. That's a good it's one. even easier when your mom arranges play dates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, dudes are really <laughs> weirded out by that now, so I don't, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> so, some behind the scenes stuff for this movie. So, James Vanderbeek said that this movie sent him to therapy, and uh, I think. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I he said that, you know, he was used to playing the Dawson, and I guess that there wasn't anything super, super dark in Dawson's Creek. I didn't see it, but he had a hard time dealing with this movie, and he, he says that he, uh, he started going to therapy because of this film and, hmm. uh, you know, the actor shit that he had to do to get into character. Well, that makes me feel better about James Vanderbeek, you know? Like, yeah. in a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought he was pretty good in this. Yeah, Yeah, I I think he was. I mean, I think the performances are really good. Yeah, he's good. Sossaman's good. Summer, Summer Breeze is good. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't remember his name. Boone. Boone. Yeah, Summer. Ian Summerholder. I I think they're all good, and I mean, Ian Summerholder is just great casting for this role. Like they're they're all just very good. Um, we didn't even mention that Faye Dunaway is in this movie. Yeah. Swoozy Kurtz. <laughs> Swoozy Oh, Kurtz. yeah. That scene I did not like at all. No. That was a bad scene. It made the... no sense. None. But well, there was, guess... there was <laughs> yeah. like the, you know, the stereotypical men dancing on a bed in their underpants to George Michael. You know, that was very um, pigeonhole-y. yeah 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 they originally wanted to get james franco for the uh for the sean bateman part but um 
I think that they started working with him, and then he. I think Roger Avery said he was like too actory. Couldn't convincingly play a creep. Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky uh, being yourself. Did you, but... read it? did you read about the scenes they did shoot with Patrick Bateman? Yeah. So they asked Christian Bale whether he would reprise, reprise, reprise his role as Patrick Bateman for this movie. But he said that he wouldn't do it for anyone other than Mary Heron, which I think is, That's is cool. a, it's a good choice. Yeah. But so they thought... Or I think Avery wanted to have Brett Easton Ellis play Patrick Bateman himself. But they eventually decided that that was a bad idea, which <laughs> I think is a bad idea. Even though even though Ellis admits that Patrick Bateman is sort of based on him. Bad idea. But they ended up getting Casper Van Dien from Starship Troopers and Casper the Friendly Ghost, I think. Yeah. No. no, He's not in that. Not at all. But they filmed these scenes. (laughs) From Casper the Mattress and... uh... (laughs) No, no, no. Don't give them a free plug. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they ended up not using them. And I don't know. I mean, I think that the movie is sort of fine without it. I I like the sort of tenuous connection to the other material, but I think it would have been too obvious. I think at one point they wanted to have him with like a severed head wearing a uh, leopard print thong so i think that's too too obvious that didn't happen touch on the nose (laughs) (laughs) yeah apparently the there is some interesting commentary tracks for the dvd oh shannon sossman does one where she calls uh roger avery so that's very interesting but also for some reason they just got carrot top to do one (laughs) (laughs) wait what no Carrot Top had no involvement in this movie. I mean, maybe he was, like, playing the campus at the same time or something. I don't know. But they just decided that, you know, they should get Carrot Top, too. So they got not only a comedian who is not involved with the production of this movie, but a comedian whose humor is entirely dependent upon the visual medium (laughs) to come talk over a movie for two hours. Yes, sir. (laughs) Which I, I... I, I wish that I had the time, you know, yeah. but uh, I'm just too old to for that shit now. But, you know, I, I guess I would like to see I would like to see a compilation of like the the best movies because I think it's also like he hadn't seen the movie before. It's just like <laughs> Care Top never says no to a gig. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you, you get ahead. Like discovering like some of these scenes with Care Top. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. You can't funny. see this, but he's taken a banana and turned it into a frown on his face. <laughs> I don't understand. Was Michael Winslow from Police Academy busy? Why did they cast Carrot Top? He played a mime in this. Commentary. He played oh, yeah. a mime. Uh, Gallagher was out of town. <laughs> hey, Rob, what, remember when we were looking up this movie before we decided to do it, it said that Ron Jeremy was in it. Is he in this movie? Uh, it says that he is, but, and I think that there's like a reference to him somewhere. So it's supposed to be like a, like a cheeky sort of They're watching porn at one point. I think he's, maybe he's. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but I think it's lesbian porn. No, there's like a, there's a, oh, maybe, I don't know. There's, there's some guy with a boob in his mouth at one point. Maybe that was Ron Jeremy. It could be Ron Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe it was archival, but, um. You know, I think, though, it's int- I know that Ron Jeremy is also credited in some of Roger Avery's other movies. Like, I think he's in maybe 
killing Zoe or whatever. Is it Zoe or Zoe? Anyway. Zoe. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that movie won the special prize at uh, Cannes the same year as uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm. But uh, I didn't ask you the question because... Jim made it sound like it was a bad movie. So no, um, I don't, I've never seen it. It just looked like <laughs> intense when I was like nine. <laughs> well, could have been a good trivia question. <laughs> the the Patrick Bateman thing says it was it was deleted for length, but also because Lionsgate sent a very nicely worded request. Oh, nice. You know, yeah, like, yeah. From lawyers, yeah, so yeah. I think that was part of the reason. Yeah, Wait, and didn't, then, didn't Lionsgate release this movie? Yep. <laughs> uh, maybe they didn't have it at the at that point or oh, something. Okay. I don't know, but that's what it says. I don't know. I'm not going to fact check this. <laughs> uh, is this is this Mr. Lionsgate? Oh <laughs> uh, man, yeah. And that's that's what I have for this movie. So that's I think great. let's just go around the circle and we can do our first person narration of our experience watching this movie. It was a memory like none other. <laughs> I bent down and picked up a peach. Uh, why don't we start with you, Jillian, since you are a very special guest? Well, like I said, I, I agree with, you know, the the people I was hanging out with who wanted to turn it off. I say, <laughs> don't watch this movie. Just don't even turn it on. And if you do turn it on, turn it quickly off again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Good, good advice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what does it does it because I feel like young Jillian was kind of right to find this an interesting movie like it, it has a lot of interesting things in it that are happening and even just from a filmmaking perspective you know like it's a very interesting movie to watch if young Jillian was here today no I won't make you do that um, but uh, but like do you feel I don't know like how do you feel about it now between then. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess when I was young, like maybe the fact that it was pushing some boundaries and dealing yeah. with with issues like bringing up kind of queer culture, bringing up sexual assault, bringing up, you know, having Nietzsche written on the board. There's a right. point where... I hear he's smart. <laughs> there's a point where like James Vanderbeek, he steals a Gabriel Garcia Marquez book from Fred Savage's room <laughs> and Fred Savage, Fred Savage. Yeah. Yep. And... Just stuff like that. Like there are bits and pieces of kind of culture that you're interested in when you're when you're of that age and you're into kind of more alternative scenes. So yeah, I think that I think that it did kind of push boundaries in maybe a somewhat like adolescent kind of way that I found really compelling, especially being from a small town where it basically did not have a lot of alternative culture. So right. yeah, I think that from that regard, I it made a lot of sense. But I I think especially like you were saying, Blaine, like watching it now, being older, it is, it, there's just stuff in it where you're like, ah, I don't want to see that. Like I, I, it's upsetting to watch. Like I, I had to fast forward through the suicide scene. Like I just was like, I can't watch this. Like, yeah, yeah. I can't watch it. And, and there was, there was a lot of incontinuity like in the plot. Like she shows up, uh, Shannon Sossaman shows up and she's looking for James Vanderbeek and James Vanderbeek goes upstairs to smoke pot with, with Ian I don't know his last name either. And, uh, <laughs> see? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Jessica Beale says, like, oh, he went upstairs with, with Victor. No, not Victor. What's his face? Paul? What's his name? Ian? No, Paul. That's it. Paul. And, uh, and, and then she is like, oh, okay, I'm going to go suck off my teacher now. Like, you know, instead of, you know, she was at the party for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> didn't look for the guy that she had a crush on. And then, 
went and jeopardized her academic career. Like, you know, come on, guys. Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. But maybe it does. Maybe that's how young people behaved in the early 2000s. Who knows? So. Young people are awful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm they are. say that. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, there's this, uh, that scene in 30 Rock where Tina Fey sees a bunch of teenagers and yells, youth, and, like, runs away. That's how I feel now. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, like, unlike the house on the other side of the driveway from me, there's, like, all these teenagers have been hanging out there recently, like, in the garage. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, where did all these teenagers come from? When we moved in here five years ago, there was, like, a nice 10-year-old kid. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> there was one time when I came back from Banff and uh, one of my suitcases got lost in, uh, lost in the mail. And so I only had uh, woolly hiking socks and a pair of really ugly Tevas. And I had to walk through. There was these teens and they were sitting kind of against two walls with their feet out. And I had to walk through them. And I was afraid they were going to start kicking me. You know, like in a hallway, and one of them said, "Nice socks," and they all laughed at me. So I, I just don't like teenagers. Oh, kids! Mm. Yeah. Oh my god, it's the worst because you know <laughs> they they pick on your insecurity. Yeah, your yeah. socks. <laughs> I didn't feel yeah. good about the sock and sandal combination. It wasn't a cool sock and sandal combination, and yeah, they did. They got right to the heart of like. Oh my god! It yeah. just reminds you of being a teenager and being embarrassed all the time, and then teenagers are like, "Hey, this is your embarrassment." You're like, "Yeah." Yeah, it is. Oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm sorry. And they're like, they don't even know about life yet. And you, you know, they know nothing. Kids are idiots. <laughs> but you talk still, to any of them for you, five minutes. You still kind of want to be cool to them, though. You still want to like, be, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I hate that so much. So, yeah, I'd rather cross the road than feel all that feel. Yeah. The same time. Um, okay, Blaine. What about you? What did you think about? Rules it's, just, of Attraction? it's just a hard movie to watch, and. Man, the the people that write this and film this and stay with it for so long. I mean, making a movie, you're spending like two years with this thing, and and uh, and writing a book longer, I uh, assume. <laughs> um, and uh, and he's writing with these same characters in each one of his books, the Batemans, and and what a he family to follow. Batemans. What a family to follow. <laughs> it just, I wouldn't want to do it. You know, it just it just seems like. It's, it would just be so depressing. It would just be too much. Yeah. You know, you need to watch Mr. Dress Up every morning just to get out of bed. <laughs> and, um, and I, I so, just, he's a nice person and makes life seem okay, Mr. Dress Up. So, Are those streaming somewhere? <laughs> yeah, it's kind um, of just a good idea in general. Yeah, right? It could be on your little Google Assistant or something that wakes you. <laughs> so I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. It was too jarring to start with. It was an in-your-face movie and kind of like, like, okay, well, this is this type of movie. Let's see what it's saying. And it, it said some stuff, but it also didn't say enough about mm-hmm. other stuff that it was doing that I that I just – I never want to make someone else watch this, and I don't think I'd watch it again. Like, at least with Rocking for a Dream, I find that, like, it, it's hard to watch and it's – it's so tragic and I don't want to watch it again, but I understand there's amazing filmmaking happening there. And I understand that like there's interesting relation. I don't know. It just, this is there, this didn't get it for me. Uh, so I'm going to say not rewatchable. What about you? Jane? Whoa. Who me? Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I do think, yeah, I, I kind of, like I said, I kind of, re uh appraised it a little bit in the second half i 
I think there are some interesting things he's doing. I mean, it's it's hard to say because it's so showy. I mean, like you have like backwards credits, the opening credits and closing credits. Like it's trying so hard to be like early two thousands filmy. But I think there are some sequences are, that are good. I like that split screen mm-hmm. uh, part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was effective, and that actually, you know, that actually like was effective not only because it was like a gimmick that worked, but also it was a gimmick that actually like put me in the headspace of those characters. It made mm-hmm. me feel yeah. like it felt like a romantic moment. It felt like uh, that kind of like very present feeling of that age, whereas like other things that were more like uh, yeah, like technically savvy, but like continue to keep me at a remove from the characters were less successful. I don't know. I don't know, man. This is, it's a, it's a profoundly unpleasant movie. I, yeah, I don't, I, I'm kind of glad I watched it just because I did not remember it at all. And, uh, and I think there's some interesting stuff there, but it was just so, so bleak, so nihilistic. And, and I think it, it does in a way like balance the scales in terms of like showing the relentless uh, awfulness of, of, you know, especially like boys that age that other movies at the time didn't uh, really engage with. But uh, yeah, but man, I did not like you. I, I could not watch like the suicide scene. It was just mm-hmm. so traumatic. And, and yeah, and the rape scene at the beginning is just and it's awful just because like I the movie knows it's a bad thing, but I don't think they you get the sense the way it's depicted in the voiceover that the movie doesn't quite get just how like horrifying this is Mm -hmm. and that's the problem and it's not just like you know through the progressive lens of uh of 2021 to say like hey like maybe like uh you know a woman should be telling this story or you should have you know gotten more perspective to to allow you to tell this story more successfully like even like putting aside like the external factors at play here like it it's fundamentally nonsensical within the world of the movie like this is this is a traumatizing moment for the character and for the audience and like you said Jillian when we see the resolution of that scene at the end of the movie the nonchalance with which it's all kind of treated is is jarring Mm -hmm. and gross and and it's all kind of yeah made to tee up like the fate of James Vanderbeek and his (laughs) motorcycle like I, I don't know yeah so I would say it's not rewatchable, but I think there's some interesting stuff in there. Uh, Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think that I sort of, I'm not going to say enjoyed this movie, but I did appreciate like what it was trying to do. And I think that like, I feel like we watch so many movies that are just very generic and sometimes they're like doing the best within that sort of genre. And this movie sort of you know, it did so many things that were different, though obviously I mean, if it's a genre, it's like you know, a, a 90s auteur movie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think Roger Avery describes it as sort of like a, a, a anti-teen comedy. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously like marketed as a teen movie, not as a comedy maybe, but as like a, you know, as one of those teen movies. And I think that like in that way, it like works very well. I mean, it is like... It is counteracting like a lot of the mythological sort of narratives that like, you know, teen movies have sort of built up. It it does look at it in an unflattering light. It is really extreme. I mean, I don't think that I want to watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I need to see it again. But I feel like 
I'm glad that I saw it. I mean, I really wish that I had seen it when I was younger and like really into literary things that were very extreme and uh, all of that. Because, yeah, I, I do feel like a little bit too old for it. Mm-hmm. Though this movie also like straddles like the line. Like I don't think it's necessarily directed at teens, even though I think that is maybe trying to like pull in some of that demographic. I mean, it does feel like in a certain way it's just like this is a movie that features teens. I know it does a lot of things I think that are really interesting. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's rewatchable, Mm. um, even though that's the unpopular opinion. I think that it's, you know, it's complicated. There are lots of things that don't work. I actually found the second half of the movie, like a little bit looser. Like it, it doesn't come, it doesn't sort of like come to like an easy conclusion or there's not like a clear climax. There's just all these sort of moments that like don't necessarily come together. And I do like definitely question like this movie that sort of starts with, you know, Shannon Sossman's perspective and yeah, it ends with James Vanderbeek's fade out. Yeah, I, I, fi- I feel like in some ways he is like the least strong of the narrators. The other ones, I think... Because I think it's just a lot easier to have some sort of sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, James Vanderbeek is just, like, such a meathead dill hole, you know? <laughs> dill hole. But, yeah, I mean, Jillian, I'm really glad that you brought this movie to us. I'm glad oh. that we made Blaine watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've made you watch worse. It's true. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Jillian. Thank you so much for coming on board and yeah. and, and talking this through. It was, it was great. Yeah, thanks and for having me. What's the name of your song again? It's called Shelf. And um, they can download that where? On Bandcamp it can be downloaded and then it can be streamed on all streaming services. And the music video will be on YouTube. And I will also be doing a live stream on YouTube on April 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So Nice. Yeah. Cool. Check it out. And yeah. and is it is the band name just your full name, Jillian? Yeah, it's just Stone? me. Stone? It's my okay. solo project, yeah. Great. Nice. Great. You don't have like a stage name? Uh, no. No. I figured uh, I I you know my name works. It's who I am. It does and... it does work. Yeah. You know, the stone it rocks. like a rock. <laughs> oh, and... Yeah. Boom. Nice. Yeah. Rock Boom. and roll. Never there heard that before. Never heard that. <laughs> rock and roll like this movie. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm smart. I'm smart like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're rewatchability. You can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate us or review us. And you can also, if you'd like to reach out to us somehow, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're also on Instagram, so you can follow us there. If you'd like to become a Patreon and get those early episodes and get them ad free, none of those ads, you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability. And also we have t shirts at T Public and I think that's it, right? I think that's it. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully something a little bit more uplifting. So <laughs> it's not hard to find a more uplifting film than this. Yeah, you know? I helped you out there. <laughs> I, I brought it all the way down. So, you know, you guys can bring it back up again. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> next week, uplifting. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> we all die. So it's... it's yeah. <laughs> 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.